everyone, how you doing? How you living? This is Blood is Thicker Than Water, your best brand new sports podcast, two hosts. I am one host, Robin Stigume, the other host, big brother, Jonathan Stigume. What's up, John? How's it going, people? Hope you enjoy the show today. Yes, we will. I think they're going to enjoy the show. I think this is going to be a very good show. And just in case this is your first time. We're two brothers. We talk about sports, which I know a lot of you guys love, especially talking with your brothers about sports, about the ins and outs of the major sports here. And of course, we also think about the hypotheticals, okay? Because sports, I mean, there are a lot of scenarios that take place when it comes to sports. One of the uh, things that people love to debate over, you know, you have uh, who who's the best team? Who is you know the best player in a certain sport? That's right. But, but we're going to talk a little bit today about not the best, but teams that maybe should have been the best, that maybe should have rewritten the record books, that maybe should have won just one more game. And today, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to talk about the teams, the best teams that almost did it. Okay. Shout out to guys like Tobias Harris, who almost became an all-star this year. Shout out to shout out to DeMar DeRozan, who was almost, you know, this is like the almost podcast. So, you know, shout out to those guys. Taking shots, brother, taking shots. I think think Tobias Harris, you know, had a strong case. He's almost. So, you know, in honor of those guys, we're just gonna come and talk about close closeness how close teams are okay Mm. and since this is an almost list we almost had 10 teams on okay but we left with just nine because you know we keep that theme of almost all right (laughs) so we're going to talk about some of these teams that uh should have completed the deal and the first team on this list is more of a sentimental uh selection because they were very near and dear to my heart and this was one of the more disappointing seasons. I want to add a, I want to add a little caveat, bro. Uh, Go ahead. You, you know, the little caveat is, you know, he's partial to this team. And and if you've been oh, listening, yeah. I, to, listen, if you've been listen, listening to the I show, hide, you know what team he's talking about. Okay. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> I, don't, I don't hide my allegiances. Okay. When it comes to football, you know, I, I, I bleed blue. Okay. And if you don't bleed blue, that's your problem, okay? We'll just leave it at that. <laughs> I am a New York Giants fan through and through. But the team that – I wouldn't say, you know, I probably was the, the most hurt after this season because I really felt this New York Giants team was a Super Bowl champion, and, and, you know, was a Super Bowl champion. That is the 2008 New York Giants. Remember the 2008 New York Giants? That was a year after they defeated the undefeated Patriots in the Super Bowl, okay? Remember? Um, Patriots were, were going to make history. They were going to go down as the best team ever, uh, undefeated NFL season, and they were defeated by the New York Giants. But a lot of people don't remember that next that next year the Giants were a juggernaut. Giants were the number with the number one rush offense in the NFL. Brandon Jacobs uh, was a beast. The, the physical his physical prowess, running people over. Derek Ward, another. Uh, powerful uh, running back, very skilled running back. People remember uh, Thunder and Lightning, Brandon Jacobs and Ahmad Bradshaw. Derek mm. Ward was good. <laughs> Derek Ward was a really good running back that year. Fifth mm. ranked, de- you were the fifth ranked defense, the third ranked offense, defending Super Bowl champions, 11 and one. 11 and one. They were, mm. and there were a lot of games where they, uh, you know, pounded teams. Into, in, into submission, okay? I remember they ran for over 200 yards against Ray Lewis in the vaunted Baltimore Ravens defense. Yep, okay? they did. But that team was derailed. Not because of a upstart wildcard team that was able to figure them out. Not by some high-flying offense that was able to, to win a shootout. It was an inside job. Hmm. Giants fans know what that what that inside job was. It involves a firearm. It involves a leg. 
and it involves Plaxico Burris. Plaxico. The giant star receiver, man. Giant star receiver. If you guys ever watched the movie Eight Mile, he cheddar bobbed himself. And that was a big component of the New York Giants offense. Without Plexico Barris, the Giants would go on to lose two of their of their final, or sorry, actually they'll lose three of their final four games mm-hmm. and get bounced in the divisional round to the hated Eagles. Who, if you listen to last week's podcast, one of the most vile fan bases in the history of sports. The New York Giants, 2008, one of the saddest ends to a season that I can remember as a Giants fan. John, what were your thoughts on this New York Giants football team the year after they were able to take off the crown from the Patriots' head? (laughs) So, so... As you as you all know, folks, me and Rob were brothers, and some sometimes we agree on things, and sometimes we don't. I initially did not agree with having this team on the list um, because for me, I look for dominance. But you know, it's okay for us to talk about this team, the Giants team that year. You know, from 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 what I know and and, and remember, after that Super Bowl where they upset, and I'm not gonna lie, I actually rooted for. I'm not a Giants fan. You know, I'm more of a Chicago Bears fan. And it's kind of odd. Brother who grows up in New York is a Chicago Bears fan, you know, because usually New Yorkers stay loyal to the New York teams. As but, I was not, but I was not loyal. <laughs> I, was, I was not loyal to the NFL teams. I was loyal to the team that I just enjoyed watching play. And I became a, a fan of the Bears at a really young age. And I'm still, to this day, a Bears fan. But we're talking about the Giants that year. And coming off the Super Bowl, I actually wanted the Giants to win because I absolutely hated the Patriots. Um, I hated the Patriots more more than I disliked the Giants. And coming into that year, they dominated. Thunder and Lightning ran over teams, beat teams to submission. The reason why Thunder and Lightning were so successful at running the ball is because you had a beast of a receiver which kept teams honest. And when Plexico shot himself, teams now focused their energy on thunder and lightning, and they filled the box. Because the thing is, Plexico Burris, one-on-one, could not be guarded that year. He was, if you go back and, and, you know, there have been great receivers, and we'll do an episode on greatest receivers down the line, because there's been some some debate about who's the greatest receiver. And there are a lot of receivers who I feel have been snubbed, who had a stretch of just dominance that you're like, wow, this guy cannot be guarded. But for me, I would say Plexigo Burris was one of those dominant one receivers. And the incident that happened, to me, I think changed People may not see this, but it changed the NFL moving forward. And I'll explain r- real brief why. The Giants had um, their eight, their one, which was Plexigo, which teams honed on trying to double team. Because Plexigo, with his size, um, I want to say he was the fastest receiver, but he can gallop by any DB. Any DB one-on-one. He had a very good move where he can just blow right by you. And the thing is, because he was so big, he was hard to take down. So teams had to double team. And so because teams playing against the Giants were like, all right, we got to double team him. Um, Jeremy Shockey was on that team, correct? Wasn't Shockey? No, Shockey. No, it wasn't Shockey. Shockey was after. No, was no Shockey, was, Shockey was, remember, in the year before, Shockey was injured. So right. it was, uh, his boss was. Boss. Kept, boss yeah, boss. Was, boss was. was tight end. Yeah, boss, boss that year, he was that possession tight end that can move the yep. chains yep. When, yep. when the Giants need it. When, yep. when teams honed in a lot on um, Plexigo, boss was that guy. All right, it's third and four. 
you know, Eli's looking for boss. He's looking for boss coming off a slant. Um, and then boom, he'll hit boss for that first down. Boss was more of that move the chains tight end that year. But the thing is, Plexigo, you know, unfortunately shot himself that year in, in the leg. And what did it do? Teams then said, okay, well, boom, we just got to focus on Thunder and Lightning. And they filled the box. Um, but if you look, if, if you look after that year, after that year had passed and the Giants ended up, you know, being bounced out of the divisional round, you notice a trend happened in the NFL where teams started focusing on getting a, you know, trying to get, you, 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 well, every team wanted a, a one, like, like the star receiver. But then teams started focusing more on getting a second receiver as a release valve. Because, and that was the thing was the Giants, the Giants had receivers that year, but they were more so possession receivers. They weren't guys that, yeah. you know, if the one was double teamed, you know, you got to worry about that too. And you see what happens to the game now. Like you, you look at 13 years later, every team is trying to get two guys. You know, every team wants that. You know, every team wants that dominant one. But then every team is also looking at a, a decent two who has the potential of being a one. And, and, and the game has changed in that way because right now, you know, you look at the game, the game is all about scoring points. It's all about offense, 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 offense. And usually the team that has a dominant one and a upcoming one um, most of the time, a lot of, a lot of times, you know, except the Patriots, I don't think the Patriots, the Patriots are, are the anomaly in that mix because they just get anybody and can make them, and can make them decent. But a lot of teams try to have dominant ones and a very solid two. And the loss of Plexico, I think not only disrupted the offense because the success of the defense was the defense spent a lot of time on the sidelines. So they were fresh. And when they came in, you know, they, they wreaked havoc. But after that incident, the offense, you know, stifled a little bit. Defense was on the field a lot more. And you saw the, this, the whole dismantling of that team. Yeah, and I that know. Was, hey, that was uh, a tough one to swallow. But we're going to go now. Uh, into our, you know, further deep, you know, further into our list and take a look at a team that I pretty much assuming everybody talked about when you're talking about the best team that never won it. That's yep. the 07 Patriots. Definitely. 07 Patriots, as you can remember, uh, set an NFL record for most points scored in the season, 589. Tom Brady had his career high 50 touchdown passes. Peyton Manning would break that record a couple of years uh, later. Randy Moss, uh, NFL record, 23 touchdown catches. Nine wins by 20-plus points. Well, mm -hmm. this, was, this was a dominant. I mean, it was like a fait complete when it came to whether or not the Patriots would go down as one of the best teams to ever uh, play in the NFL. And as we talked about the Giants the year, um, in the previous uh, selection, this team would eventually end up losing to the Giants. And I think people started to realize uh, with this team <laughs> that if you have four guys that can get after your passer, get after the passer, you can have a really, really good defense. This was a team that, again, scored 589 points during uh, the regular season, the NFL record, but mustered just two touchdowns in the Super Bowl. Because of the Giants' front four, the New England Patriots, I think, probably at the top of anybody's list is the team that shoulda, woulda, coulda. One play here, the Asante Samuel uh, almost interception, the David Tyree helmet catch. Mm. Okay, these, these were the moments that kind of stand out in my mind when it comes to that game. And of course, how the Patriots got... Uh, Are they choked? I wouldn't say <laughs> choke is a choke because it's the NFL any given Sunday. And that oh. front four was legitimate. And if you remember the final game of the regular season, Giants and, and the Patriots, 
they played in a shootout. 36, I believe it was a, a really uh, high scoring, 36-31. It was a really high scoring game. Giants were with them the entire way. They were able to eke it out at the end. The Giants defense definitely took some corners from that game, stepped it up in terms of their defensive schemes, and eventually were able to, de- you know, to take down, to keep trying to say dethrone, but take down the Patriots 17-14. What's your, what's your memory of that team and that game when we're talking about the 07 Patriots? Okay, where do I begin, Okay. Where do I begin? Before I even go in on the 07 Patriots, which in my opinion should have won the Super Bowl. And I just want to read off the players they had on that roster. Okay. You had Tom Brady, who a lot of people argue is the GOAT, right? Your running back was Kevin Fall. Okay. He was a decent running back. Your wide receivers were Randy Moss and Wes Welker, okay? Wes Welker was the the Julian Edelman before Julian Edelman, you know, came in existence. Wes Welker was that guy, okay? Um, And (laughs) Wes Welker's stats that year, 112 catches for over 1,100 yards receiving. 112 catches. Moss was 98 catches. For almost 1,500 yards that season, all right? They also had Ben Watson, who was a very good tight end. Offensive line, arguably probably one of the best offensive lines. Logan Mankin, Matt Light, Steve Neal. Um, On the defensive side, they had Vince Wolfork, the plug. I, I call Vince the plug. Mike Vagrel, Mike v- um, Vrabel, who's a who's now a coach. Um, Adelius Thomas, Teddy Bruschi, Asante Samuel, Roosevelt Colvin, Rodney Harrison. That team was complete on both sides of the ball. And as prolific as that offense was. The, the secret sauce, and, and, and Rob mentioned it, that last game of the season, the Giants lost that game, but I think the secret sauce was discovered in that game. When you look at that team and just the sheer beatdowns that a lot of NFL teams took that year, the, the thing that a lot of people talked about was um, – you got to get pressure with four. And we can say many teams that year could not get pressure with four. And because of that, the routes happened. You had to, you had to, Randy Moss at that time, you had to double team him. You, you just had to. You had to double team Moss. You needed a guy under, you needed a guy over the top. So, Imagine scheming for that team. You had to have a safety over the top um, and, the, and either a safety over the top or someone because Moss was just that dominant that season. And despite all that, um, in that last game, the Giants did lose that game, but they realized if we can get pressure with that front four, the seven guys behind can hold their weight. And what happened in that Super Bowl, first of all, for me, before the game was even played, I said, if the Patriots get to 20 to 28, it's over. And the Giants defense did its job. The front four, Michael Strahan, those guys, they came in and they disrupted the offense. And the thing, and I think the the key thing that I remember about that Super Bowl, and if you go back and watch, one of the things that one of the things that made the offense of the Patriots click that year was Wes was Wes Welker on his routes. He would he would come out quick and either slant or squat in an area. And I remember watching that game and I was saying, I was telling myself, if 
one of the defenders can jam Wes Welker, they they can keep the they can keep the score low. And that and that happened. If you go back and watch that game, folks, you'll see that Wes Welker got jammed a lot at the line of scrimmage before releasing. And I think that helped that front four when the front four started started applying pressure because Wes Welker was the safety valve. Wes Welker was Tom's safety valve. Tom would see pressure coming. He'd dump off to Wes Welker. And because of that jam, that initial jam, and the pressure that the Giants front four did, it caused Tom to miss that first read and have to find somebody else. And unfortunately for the, the Patriots, you know, granted, you know, the catch um, – that uh, Tyree did w- w- was amazing. But um, to me, the MVPs of that Super Bowl was was that front four. They should have shared that. The MVP should have been the front four of the Giants because their pressure and the jamming of Wes Walker um, yeah, Strahan really, paid, really paid off. Strahan, Tuck, you and Yura, those yep. are the guys. It's a... It's, it changes the game when you have a front four. You even saw that in this year's Super Bowl. Right. You got a front four that can attack the quarterback. I don't care how prolific the offense is. It is uh, a very huge advantage for the defense that can just play seven guys in coverage. Uh, shout out to Aaron Ross, Corey Webster, <laughs> R.W. McQuarters. Okay, these guys, they, uh, and Corey Webster especially, that's one of those unsung heroes of that team. Yep. He had to be the one that uh, guarded Randy Moss. So that was a right. huge job that he did. And, of course, the pass rush definitely helped out. Now, we've talked about two football teams. Yes. Two football teams. And, obviously, football is not the only sport that experiences upsets or has situations where teams that seem so dominant could not, you know, get the job done. We guys remember Michael Jordan, and the main thing about Michael Jordan is the fact that he always got the job done. Mike got the Mm. job done at all. And one of the teams, of course, that uh, people remember vividly is the 72-win Bulls. They went 72-10 and 10 mm-hmm. NBA championships in the 95-96 season. But, you know, literally uh, 20 years later, another team would arise mm. on the Bay. The 2015-2016 Warriors. They would break that 72-win uh, record, winning 73 games or winning their final uh, you know, game of the season against Memphis. Remember, that's also the night Kobe played his final game and, you know, dropped 60 in his career finale. And uh, Golden State would actually win that game on the, on the same night and win the uh, – get the actual 73 winning record. You had the uh, number one offense rating in the NBA. Mm. You had the MVP, Steph Curry, the chef, who's been cooking in the lab this season. But that season, you had the best team. This is pre-Durant. This is not the Kevin Durant version of the uh, Golden State Warriors. This is the mm-hmm. Draymond Green, uh, Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, Harrison Barnes version of the Warriors. Mm. This is the reason Harrison Barnes uh, was no longer a Warrior um, <laughs> after this series. But remember, they started the season 39-4. and four. Steve Kerr uh, was out due to back um, issues after having back surgery. Uh, Luke Walton uh, coached him to a 39 and four record. I think Luke Walton could have rolled the basketball out and that team would have won games. They were a dominant, that was a juggernaut of, of a team, that Golden State Warrior team. 39 and four to start the season. But if you guys remember in the playoffs that year, things got a little hairy in the playoffs with them. Mm-hmm. In the conference finals, they almost got taken out by the OKC Thunder. Remember, they were down three games to one, needed to win a game five at home, were able to do that. Klay Thompson goes berserk in game six in OKC to save the season, and they eventually overcome a a 3-1 deficit to win the fight, to win the Western Conference. You go to the next series, they thoroughly dominate the Cleveland Cavaliers in the first two games. Washington. They lose game three. 
come back and win game four. Draymond gets gets upset, touches LeBron in the private area after LeBron <laughs> after 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 LeBron strategically steps over him. I think that that was a setup. LeBron stepped over him on on, on purpose to try to bait him into a uh, a technical, and it worked. Draymond Green suspension changed that series tremendously because he was not there for game five. Golden State loses. Andre Iguodala and Andrew Bogut get hampered with injuries. Draymond comes back in game six and is, of course, obviously shook because if he gets another technical, he gets suspended again. And basically, uh, Golden State, you can say they choked, okay? And, you know, Cleveland thought that they were going to have a dynasty. Unfortunately, we know what happened after that. Kevin Durant comes in and shuts the whole thing down. But the Golden State Warriors, 2015-2016, John, very quickly, your thoughts on how dominant a team that was and, of course, what happened to them at the end. To me, this this team should be number one on the list. And um, I want to briefly just give our listeners and viewers um, some context on this team. This team went 73-9. and nine. The Vegas odds for, the, for that team that year was a 65-17 and 17 record. That was the Vegas odds, okay? They surpassed the odds, okay? You had arguably the best backcourt the league had ever seen with Steph Curry and Klay Thompson. You had Mr. Everything to that team. Their passer, their rebounder, their defense, their defensive force in Draymond Green. You had upcoming Harrison Barnes, who was becoming a player of his own. You had, listen, you had Bogut, who was a serviceable center. Okay. You had coming off your bench, you had Festus Azili coming off that team. You had Maurice Spates, who was, um, in my opinion, their. They're big man who could shoot the three. You had Iguodala, who was another serviceman. You had Sean Livingston, who folks remember Sean Livingston, who had that horrific leg injury, who could have been an amazing um, uh, point. Their, Their bench was solid. They had solid guys coming off the bench. You had Anderson Verjao on that squad. Why would would you mention Anderson Verjao? Listen, he was a serviceable. Listen, he was a serviceable guy. You mentioned, but regardless of the fact, would you just move on with the point? Right, Anderson (laughs) Verjao. Come on, man. Listen, man, Anderson Verjao. I don't know something about him. I just like, I just like his work ethic. Man, please. Okay, but that team, but that team shot the building out. Okay, they literally shot the building out. And uh, Steph Curry's points per game that year, he was averaging 30.1 points a game. Clay was averaging 22. So your backcourt was giving you 52 points a game, okay? And the thing is, even though they were 73-9 and that year, OKC, with with the young squad of... Um, Kevin Durant and uh, Russell Westbrook were up 3-1 and should have closed out the series. But because, in my opinion, Kevin Durant allowed Steph... No, Kevin Durant allowed Westbrook to try to run amok on that playoff run. They ended up choking and losing. I do feel... And I, I kind of agree with Rob, that strategic step over that um, that LeBron did over Draymond. Because you got to understand, that series was very heated. You know, a lot of people were questioning that Steph Curry, even though his season success was so prolific, his playoff success 
he was struggling a little bit in the playoffs. And he, 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 to me, LeBron Le, LeBron came out the, uh, what a lot of people call, they don't call it the East. They call it, they call it the least. Um, he ran into a buzzsaw. And when you look at it, the first four games, it was 3-1. Most people figured it would be at most a five-game series. Uh, uh, and a, it should have been. A five game. did not get suspended. That's a five-game series. Right. And Golden State, once again, are, back, are, are the champions. Would have been a back-to-back. A back-to-back. A back. But I think what happened that year to them is they got full of themselves. They got full of themselves. And even, even after when Draymond, when Draymond w- was suspended, you saw them playing like, well, you know, yeah, we lost Draymond. Like, we got guys who could fill in. We'll still finish this off. We still got Clay, We still got Clay, and we still got um, Steph. And unfortunately, a lot of people don't understand, Draymond was the battery of that team. And when of that course. battery went out, they got out. And even when he came back in game six, you, you can just fill in the air. There was just something off about he, that team. He played differently. He yeah. played a completely different game. He played because He could not be himself because he could not pick up another tech. So it messed his game up because his game is played off energy and emotion. Right. And he couldn't play that way because he was afraid of getting suspended again. Right. So it, so he was basically useless in, in game six. Yep. And then, and then game, game seven was just a battle of will at that point. And yep. I think because their, their psyche was shaken, they couldn't do it. And to me, we, we, we look at those been two teams in the league that have won 70 plus games in the NBA, the difference between the warriors and the bulls, 70 plus win season was that the bulls when they won their 72 games they were mentally tough as well as um physically and offensively tough okay they could score they can get buckets when they needed buckets and they were mentally tough the issue with the warriors were the warriors uh, that year they were offensively focus but they weren't mentally tough because because Draymond after that suspension you saw a different Draymond Draymond was that guy who would hustle for the loose ball who would dive like like dive for the balls take the charges after that suspension he moved off because he didn't want to pick up another technical foul and be suspended and because that battery was shaky it it bled off on the rest of the team. Yeah, that was yeah, that was a, a tough a tough one for the people in the in the bay. Um, but that was certainly one of the best teams to never win the title. And of course, we know what happened afterwards. They, yeah, they got the KD. They got KD. Yeah, and that pretty much sealed the deal. For the <laughs> All right, so we're, we're just going to mention a couple other teams. We're not going to go into them. We're just going to mention them to save time. Mm-hmm. Uh, 98-99 Blue Devils. That was the Elton Brand, Shane Battier, Corey Maggetti squad with 37-2 undefeated in conference play. They got five players that were drafted in the NBA from that squad. They won uh, 24 of the 37 wins with about, with about 20 points or less. This team was taken out by the Rick more. Hamilton, mm-hmm. Khalid Elamin uh, rendition of the Yukon Huskies, and sure. they made they made the list. But that was a team that definitely you know could have should have won a uh, won a championship. Another squad, the nineteen ninety one UNLV Renner Rebels. For a lot of you guys, that may be before your time. This team, okay. Mm. The UNLV, UNLV was one of the highest scoring, most exciting teams. Uh, they, I think that if they were a team now, they would probably one of the greatest college basketball teams you ever yeah. see play the game. Larry Johnson, Greg Anthony, Stacy Augman. This team also had five players drafted, averaged ninety-seven point seven, one of the highest uh, point per game averages in NCAA history. I don't think you'll ever see ninety-seven point seven points per game, twenty-six wins by twenty-plus points uh 34 and one 
their only one loss was in the final four to Duke. Um, 79-77, they were taken out by the Duke Blue Devils. Mm. Another team that we are going to mention just in passing, the 2001 St. Louis Rams, greatest mm. show on turf. This was the team that the Patriots defeated to win their first Super Bowl. Uh, 14-2 and two record. They hit 30-plus points 11 times, okay, in the regular season. This team was the only team, St. Louis Rams, the only team to score 500-plus points in three consecutive seasons. Only team. This was their third consecutive season scoring 500-plus points. Uh, notable players on that team, Kurt Warner, of course, um, Hall of Famer, Marshall Falk, Hall of Famer, Tory Holt. Not sure if Tory Holt is a Hall of Fame, but he belongs in the Hall of Fame. He belongs in the Hall. Isaac Bruce, I also believe, uh, is, is a Hall eventually, of Famer. Eventually, yeah, yeah. Orlando Pace is, is already a Hall of Famer, one of the best. You're, you know you're good when they create a stat. They created the pancake block stat because of Orlando Pace. Yep. Okay. Orlando Pace, one of the best offensive linemen in, in the history I of play the, the NFL. I think the best, in my opinion. Yeah, one of the best ever, Orlando Pace. That team was defeated 20-17 to 17 by the New England Patriots in the Super Bowl. And remember, Chester. the year the year prior, St. Louis won the Super Bowl by beating the Tennessee Titans 23-16. to 16. Uh, Kevin Dyson got stopped at the one-yard line. So we are down to three teams. And again, we're not ranking these teams, but I think these – and all these three teams are college, are college teams. Okay, that we're going to talk, we're going to touch on college, uh, one college basketball team and two college football teams. Mm. Uh, and I think what we're going to take a look at first is a college basketball team. This seems a little bit more recent in terms of memory. Um, a lot of the players that played on this team are still currently in the NBA, mm -hmm. and there's a couple of them that are stars in this league. Okay. If you're guessing, we're talking about the 2014-2015 Kentucky Wildcats. One of the best, uh, I think this is one of the best jobs um, Calipari ever did when it came to recruiting and assembling talent. That team was overloaded with talent. They were 38-0 before they got <laughs> knocked off in the Final Four by Frank Tomiski and the Wisconsin Badgers. 38-0. Okay. Kentucky Wildcats. Nine players on that team were drafted in the NFL, in, 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 in the NBA. Nine. Okay. Nine. More than half the team, <laughs> more, than half the team more than half the team played in the NBA, got drafted in, in the NBA. <laughs> Six players were drafted in that, in the draft of 2015. Three more got drafted the following year in 2016. Notable players on this team, mm. Carl Anthony Towns, mm -hmm. Tyler Ulis, uh -huh. Willie Cauley Stein, yep, and some dude named Devin Booker. He was like, didn't even get the ball that much. Yep, Devin Booker, okay, the uh NBA All Star. He was just like a people didn't really think about him as like, oh man, yeah, he got it. You didn't think that Devin Booker would be the star that he is today after looking at that Kentucky team. But I remember their dominance. They were a very good defense. Hey, they had the Harrison brothers. Okay. Yeah, they had the Harrison brothers. Yeah, that was a nice story. Number one defense in the nation. Average score in their games was 74 to 57. Gave up 57 points a game. Number one defense in the country. Got knocked off by Frank Kamiski. Sam Decker and the Wisconsin Badgers, hmm. who then went to the championship game and lost to Duke uh, that year. So Kentucky Wildcats basketball, that was the height, I think, of, of their of their prowess. 2014, 2015, so, Kentucky Wildcats. So Rob, uh, I got a question for you. And audience, you know, folks, folks that listen, definitely uh, share your comments. Do you feel had they passed Frank Kaminsky? And the Wisconsin yeah, they would have won it. They would have won it. Yeah, they they would have won, won the championship. Yes, they would have won. Okay. No doubt they would have won. So what do you think is going to be the lasting legacy of that 2014-2015 Kentucky team? 
for me, the lasting legacy is they choked. They mm. completely choked. To me, looking at that squad, just the sheer level of talent that was on the roster, that team should have... To me, there's no way... <laughs> If, if, if the Wisconsin Badgers were to play that Kentucky team 20 times, there's no way that Wisconsin team should win two out of the 20. But again, the beauty of college basketball is any given night, somebody can go down. There's no, there's no series. Because had this been a series, that would have been the only game the Wisconsin Badgers would have won in a series. Yeah. And so the, the the legacy of that team is going to be the team that should have won it but didn't because they were dominant. Okay, very, nobody very. nobody could stop Carl Anthony Towns. Carl Anthony Towns was a different breed of of, and he played forward on that team. But you could say he was the center of that squad. Yep. But um, no one, there was no um, player, in my opinion in college basketball that had the skill set that Anthony had, he could score inside. He can shoot outside. He can dribble right by you. A big that can dribble right by you. Um, and unfortunately, you know, that team ran into a Wisconsin squad that really like, you know, yeah, yeah, they had Decker and Kaminsky, but that was really it. All the other guys were just scrappy kids who who played like tough defense and you know to me i think this is probably if you were to ask kalapari which squad that he had was his biggest if you were to look back and say his biggest disappointment that you know he should have won i believe that this team would be the number one team on that list maybe yeah 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 that this team this team, team not winning yeah was probably one of his biggest disappointments has has to be that team was so talented. Yeah, it was just crazy how how talented that that uh, team was, and yep. to see them fall to a Wisconsin team like that, I, I was kind of hoping that they would do it because I really liked watching that team. That was an exciting team to watch. Um, they played defense. They they played. They were uh, very elite when it came to their ability to score. And, and obviously, they they were a rebounding machine that year. Like yeah, well you had Willie Collins and Carl Anthony Towns. Nobody right. was. Bounds, and then you also had uh you know Dakari Johnson who was also drafted right who was uh you know a very good defensive presence in the uh, paint but it was just to the point where it was a how can this team be beat they they could have rolled out on a lot of nights they could have rolled out their bench and still beaten a lot of um teams they were that good so talent obviously wins in uh in college if you have talented players you're going to do very well Right. And this next team was an embarrassment of riches. Okay. This team was the defending national champion. This team was coming off a 34 game winning streak. This is one of the games of the, certainly one of the games of that year, one of the games of the decade, one of the games of the century. I think people will always remember this game because this game was so hyped for months that everybody was clamoring for this game from like the, the day that this college football season started, people were clamoring for USC and Texas, USC and Texas. Mm, 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 Remember USC was coming 30 came into that title game, 34 consecutive victories, the defending national champion, champion. the boys of Troy, Matt Leinart, Reggie Bush, <laughs> 29 players from that team were drafted. 29 mm. players were drafted. Other guys that were notably on that team, Brian Cushing, Clay Matthews. This was a talent overload when it came to the USC Trojans. <laughs> this team averaged 49.1 points per game. Six wins by 30 mm. points. This was one of the more dominant uh, teams. And, of course, they had their era. 
that Matt Lanner era, Reggie Bush era, that mm. 34 win, 34 game winning streak spanning over three seasons in which USC was the number one team throughout that entire uh, stretch, sort of like Alabama is uh, or was earlier. Now that, you know, Clemson is, is coming the picture as a definite you know, contender to uh, Alabama, but USC was unmatched in terms of their ability. Um, they were just so talented. They were overwhelming with talent. Remember, Reggie Bush wasn't even starting on, on that team. It was Lindell White who was a starting running back. Okay? Yep. Pete Carroll was the head coach. They had stars everywhere. Everywhere they had stars. This team was so, so talented. It was. Hey, Rob. Hey, hey, Rob. Can I just, can I just give the audience? No, at this time, you can't give the audience anything. <laughs> You'll have your turn. This team was a movie. Okay. This team was a movie. The USC Trojans. Mm. And then some guy named Vince Young comes in and wrecks the whole thing. 41-38, mm-hmm. they defeat USC in the national championship. Sad part about it is that none of those guys ever lived up to the hype in mm-hmm. the NFL. Clay Matthews is probably the best player. I mean, just if you think about it, uh, Clay Matthews is probably the best player of both teams, you know, in, in that game. Right. But, John, now that you've been clamoring so much to put your two-piece in, go ahead. Tell them one, of course, the spectacle, the circus that was the USC Trojans, one of the best college football teams in you know in history. And then, of course, give me your thoughts, you know, briefly on that national title game. I think one of the games of the century. Uh, it'll go down as one of the best games. Yes. Certainly uh, college football, but probably in all sports. Yeah. So from I would say 03 to about 06, you know, ABC News, which did a lot of the USC games, you know, and Brent Musburger, you know, Brent Musburger was like the boys from Troy, you know, like like they were gladiators. Um, When you, when you, for me, when you talk about um, players that I would say had amazing college football careers. I think Reggie Bush is on that list in terms of amazing college football careers. I would agree. And that team, you know, Rob talking about just the sheer numbers of guys that got drafted in the NFL. I'm just going to give you a couple of names. Not all of them were successes, but I'm going to give you a couple of names that made the NFL rosters um, off this team, off this USC team. I don't think, honestly, Rob, if you look back and we may have to research this, that a roster had this many players being drafted in the NFL. Just wait. Okay. But we had Matt Leiner, Reggie Bush, Lindell White, Steve Smith, Patrick Turner, Dominic Burke, and, Fred, and, and, Fred and just and just to remember, just to be um, on on point, that was not Steve Smith, Carolina Panthers, Steve Smith. Right, that was, that was the New York Giants. Giants. That was a giant Steve Smith. Right. You had um, Brian Cushing. You had, of course, Clay Matthews. You, you had Ray Malaluga, who had he had a couple of good years in the NFL, but yeah. he wasn't yeah. overall. Yeah. Um, you know, his career didn't end, in, in, in my opinion, how it should have. Um, yeah, Kevin Ellison, you know, Terrell Thomas, um, DB, another got, giant, yep, Thomas, giant. yep, that got drafted. Um, but again, yeah, Keith Rivers, Darnell Bing, you know, those guys, you know, all got drafted. But that team was an offensive juggernaut, and their defense was very. Their defense was very good, but like in terms of like dominating, like so, like some of the college football defenses that we've seen, they were they they were very talented um, on the defensive end. That a lot of people will say that that's an upset because offensively, there was no way the the Texan the the Longhorns should have kept up with that team okay 
if you look at the USC program, everyone that was a name in high school wanted to go to USC because at that period in time, USC, USC was the program that, and at that time, Pete Carroll was getting guys in the NFL. Right now we got, you know, um, our guy in Alabama. Um, who, 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 yeah, yeah, Saban, Saban, Saban is just having a roster of players that that go to um, um, that go to the NFL. But that team was just you know dominant. And in that game, Vince Young had Vince Young was superhuman in that game. In that clash, Vince Young played out of his mind. And if you look at Vince Young's career, even when he made it to the pros, that game is his best highlight. That yes. game he played, that college championship game. And he will forever be in Texas history as the man that brought the Longhorns a championship. But I agree with Rob as, for me, that this team was a, this USC team if you look at the other championships that they won, if you if you were to just put up the resumes of of the USC championship teams that won, people would say that this team should have won. Mm-hmm. And it it took a superhuman game from Vince Young because because basically Texas's hope was we need to get a stop. We need to get a stop somehow. And Vince Young, whenever USC scored, Vince Young brought Texas back and they scored. And that was and and he played a superhuman game with his legs because he because he ran and throwing the ball that it, in my opinion, that was his greatest game. That was Vince yeah. Young's greatest game ever. And you know, unfortunately for him, he you know, his career sort of fizzled after that game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that was probably, for me, one of the biggest college football upsets because even though Texas was talented, the level of talent at, at the time on USC squad superseded the talent that Texas had. Yeah, Texas was a really, really good team. Well that coached. Was- well coached. Well coached. Okay, well-coached football team, a very exciting football team to watch. Uh, Everybody knows about Vince Young. Vince Young, of course, the the stud, um, the stud, you know, uh, quarterback from the University of Texas. He, you know, was, I think, you know, when I think about Vince Young, one of the best, definitely one of the best college quarterbacks Mm-hmm. They, you know, it just didn't work out. You know, they had on that team. They had Jamal Charles on that team. Right. Jamal Charles had had a pretty had a pretty solid career. Short NFL Very player. Very short. Okay. Short really NFL, player, NFL player. He was really he was a really good um, running back. But if you look at that after that, there weren't really any uh, guys of note. Brian Arakpo had a couple of um, solid yep. seasons in the in the NFL, but no other guys you look at and say, "Oh man." They had this guy. I mean, USC had some tremendous talent, but yeah, that team losing, that was a tough one um, for them because I truly believe that that was one of the best college football teams to ever play college football. Agreed. And they had one of the best runs ever, I think, in college football. But... Our last team. The last squad we're going to talk about. Mm. Guys, let me see. If you're 20, 21, you don't remember this team. Mm. If you're, you know, a little closer to 30, you may vaguely remember the dominant era that this team had. Mm. This team had a documentary made on them. Mm -hmm. This team... Mm, 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 mm. they had a run this is one of the best runs you talk about alabama and and their run but the u (laughs) the u 
Okay. And if anybody's talking, you know, you're talking about sports, you're talking about college football. As someone that says the you, there's no other, no other words. Okay. This team, we're talking about, just in case you, you know, don't know what we're talking about. University of Miami. You, and you wonder why uh, Miami Hurricane fans feel, oh, we're going to win it this. They're delusional. Okay. But it's because of Mm. the dominance they had in the early 2000s, the University of Miami uh, football team. This team averaged 40 points per game. Okay, this now this is the this is the 2002 uh, rendition because we had to find a team that didn't win, obviously, mm. to make the list. Mm. This was the 2002 team. Mm. Okay, Mm-mm-mm. now Miami University of Miami was a just a I mean you had to see them, and if you didn't see them, I mean I I can't explain this this team was tr- truly dominant. 40 points per game. Mm. They gave up 19 points a game. Eight wins by 20-plus points. 34 consecutive wins they brought into that national title game. They were the defending national champions. Now, this number, when I looked at it, was was low to me. They had 15 players on that team were drafted, okay? Seven of them were first-round picks, mm-hmm. all right? So it wasn't that they did. Now, they didn't have as many as USC, but – if you look at some of the names of some of the guys who got drafted, mm. okay, mm. Willis McGahee, he had a pretty mm. solid uh, NFL career. Yep. Kellen Winslow, I was another mm-hmm. first round pick. All right. You had Jonathan Vilma. Uh huh. Very good player. Entrell Roll. Yep. Super Bowl champion with the Giants. The late Sean Taylor. One of the best DBs that ever played. One of the best. If you didn't see him play, I mean, huh. you missed out. Um, tragically, he was he was killed uh, early on in his career. But one of the best safeties uh, in that I've seen, and he would have been a stud. He would have been a stud in the NFL. You know, he would have been. Listen, him. that brother would have been a Hall of Famer. Oh, easily. He just. And, you know, you don't want to be, you know, sports is filled with, with hyperbole. Oh, right. he's this guy. He could Sean Taylor was an the real deal. excellent safety. The real deal. Those are just some of the names. Now, if you think about it, uh, the previous year, okay, they were uh, they were replacing, okay, uh, <laughs> Wills McGahee was the running back that year. He had to play backup the previous year to Clinton Portis, okay, <laughs> and Frank Gore. Oh, <laughs> okay. Portis and Frank Gore. Kellen Winslow was the backup to Jeremy, to, uh, to I believe it was uh, Jer- Jeremy Shockey. Oh. Or I think Shockey could have been a year uh, later. No, mm. Shockey was also on that team. He was a backup. Winslow was a backup to Jeremy Shockey. Mm. Okay. Frank Gore, Clinton Portis. And like, we don't forget, I, I don't know how I even overlooked future Hall of Famer. Andre Johnson yes. was on that squad. Okay, and I'm talking about the old two squad. Uh, Andre Johnson was the receiver, and you know, you had a, a number of uh, solid players yeah. as well. So yeah. and Roscoe had, Parrish, uh, you yeah. that name, Roscoe. Roscoe Parrish. Yeah, Roscoe Parrish was an exciting <laughs> college player. Didn't make it, you know, so much so far. Yeah. In the now that team, as we said, 34 consecutive wins, defeated uh, teams. Uh, eight wins by 20 point, twenty plus points per game. They lost in the national title game, and I don't care what you say, I think they were robbed. They lost to Ohio State 31-24 in double overtime. That was the uh, Maurice Claret team, okay, uh, Ohio State, that won the championship that year. Mm-hmm. And the this, this, it almost felt like Miami was like a video game. There was they would always win. Thirty-four oh, yeah. consecutive wins. They always win. They were about to uh, collect their second consecutive national title, and just like that, it was a pass interference call on fourth down. A horrible ball. Ohio State the ball again allowed them to score the tying touchdown uh, to win. You know to win the game. 
without that touchdown, of course, they don't force overtime and, and win either. So, John, what are your memories of that Miami squad? Mm. So, so, you know, there, you could argue that the U had probably one of the most dominating um, dynasties in the, in the late 90s and early 2000s. Now, Rob didn't mention their quarterback. Their quarterback, he got drafted in the NFL. He wasn't that great anyway. Ken yeah, yeah. there's a reason why I didn't mention it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Ken, Ken Dorsey was a, uh, um, at the time, you know, on that, on that squad, he was a, he was a, he wasn't the name. Like they had players that had huge names on that roster. And for me, if I were, if I were to rank the biggest, um, like, like the biggest losses in sports history, this one would be in my top five because that team, that team, like, listen, the old one, the old one team was great. Yep. The old one team, you, you know, could, could, could throw their second and third running back in the game. And, you know, <laughs> they dominate, but this, but this squad right here should have won. And um, it's unfortunate because Ohio state didn't beat them. <laughs> they lost with a bad call. Right. It was a bad call. It was a bad call. It was a horrible call. And the thing is, like, it's one thing to look at a team, a, a dominant team, get beat by somebody. Like you watch the game, you're like, oh man, now they got beat. No, this team was robbed of a national championship. Um, watching that game, yes, it was nip and tuck, and I was surprised that Ohio State hung around in the game. But the thing is, when you when your defense has guys like Sean Taylor, Entrell Roll, um, Vilma, um, those guys. Um, even though, even though it was a tough game, and and and, and you know, I want people to understand. Like, yes, there's been there've been dominant teams, but sometimes a dominant team runs up against, you know, a challenge. And this was and this was Miami's challenge that year. But I felt that had the game not been called and, and, and re remembering that game that was the most in my opinion the most egregious call was that pass to the first but there were other calls in that game that were very questionable and I felt because that Miami that that stretch of like 99 2000 2001 02 the Miami Hurricanes were sort of like the bad boys of college football. They were. They had this reputation, the U. And there were a lot of, and there were a lot of people who were turned off by their bravado and their energy, the U. And I feel that they were robbed in that game. That school, Miami, the U should have had another national championship. Um, and unfortunately, that pass interference call cost them cost them the championship um, and in my opinion leaves leaves a blemish on the run of the U through college football. Yeah. Uh, I forgot to mention that that team also did have Vince Warfolk on them. Yeah, and Vince Warfolk, um, he didn't get drafted. He wasn't drafted. He got picked up after. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Vince Warfolk, the team uh, also had Vince Warfolk. Uh, just crazy. How and Rob, Think about it. Vince Warfork didn't get drafted, but remember, um, they had like DJ Williams on that squad. He didn't get drafted, but he was picked yeah. up later on. So, so they DJ had guys. DJ Williams did get drafted. DJ Williams got drafted the year after. He right. was on the 03 team. He did get drafted, but yeah. not as, uh, of course, as high a pick. A lot of people thought that, that um, he would be. They, they just, they had talent. I mean, they were really, they were pretty much feeling the NFL was stars for a good five to 10 year run. Right. Uh, in the early 2000s, late 90s, they were just fantastic. And here's the thing Rob, just they, were, they were giving you only stars. They were giving you stars that have Hall of Fame yeah. potential. Ray Lewis, Ed Reed, yep. 
that's the line that that, like, that Scott was in. I I can go on a record right now. Sean Taylor had his career not like remember how his career started. His career started, he was dominant. Yep. Had his career not been cut, cut short, I feel that he would be up there with the greats in terms yeah. of um, he was he was a shut listen in college. He played, you know, he played DB and safety. He was a shutdown dude. Yeah, he great tackler, great coverage. Sean Taylor was he, the he, kind of safety that you wanted on your team if you wanted to have a dominant defense. He, he did not need help to take you down. Yep. Never needed help. Yep. He was that dude. And unfortunately, his career was cut short. Yeah. Um, but that team. Life, life was cut short. Yeah. And and like that team, when you looked at that squad, um, that squad was just dominant. And it's unfortunate how they lost that game. That game, in my opinion, looking back, was one of the most poorly officiated championship games um, in terms of my recent memory, in terms of games that were... Now, now you're in your feelings. Because you don't remember probably half the calls that, 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 that took place in that game. No, now you, now you're just... Couple. There were a couple... There, there were some holding calls in that game that I was like, come on, man, really? Are you going to call that? You're going to call that. Okay. Well, I think this was a really good trip down memory lane. Because oh, we don't, it was. We don't talk about the team that didn't win. We always talk about, oh, they won. You know, we talk about Tom Brady. We talk about Jordan. Yep. We talk about, uh, you know, champions. Like, you talk about LeBron. We talk, we talk about teams that or players that have won and reached the peak and won. But, you know... That's the great thing about sports is that there are times when even the guys who finished second deserve some shine. And we remember, we remember a lot of these teams. So to all you all-star snubs, all you players who were cheated from an all-star draft or, or cheated from an all-star selection in this year's NBA, this was for you. For you guys who were not, who were runners up in the Heisman Trophy race, this is for you. For you guys who were the runner-up for the Naismith Player of the Year Award, this is for you. For the Buffalo Bills fans who finished second place for four consecutive years, this, this is for you. podcast was for you. <laughs> Thank you for being a brother. Thank you for listening to us. Let us know what you think. Are there teams on this list or that should be on this list that were not? Maybe one of those four Buffalo Bills teams should have been on the list. Mm. But... Let us know what you're thinking. I think so. Blood, blood Brothers Ballin at gmail.com. Blood Brothers Ballin at gmail.com is where you can hit us up. Let us know what you think. Let us know if we suck. Let us know what it is that you want to hear when it comes to about the fan experience and fans' point of view in sports. What are some of the things that are piquing your interest? Thank you for being a brother. Thank you for listening to us once again. We are excited, you know, because this is a fun way to share about sports and share about what sports means to us. And of course, the uh, main stories and topics uh, of today and some of yesterday. So until we meet again, I'm one of your hosts, Robbins Exume. And I'm Thank John you for listening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that other guy that you heard speaking, that, that's Jonathan. <laughs> I'm important yeah. too. Yeah, I, we're, we're, we're related, according to what our parents say. Um, <laughs> but we definitely appreciate you guys listening. We appreciate you guys taking the time out to uh, share. Thank you. See you later. Goodbye. Peace. We love you. <laughs>